Father God, Lord, uh, for today, God, I just, um, Holy Spirit, we just invite you here, uh, Lord, I'm, I invite you here just to come and speak into each of our hearts, God. Lord, that we have come in here in one way, in one place, God, Lord, but that you take us out in another, in another place, God, with a bigger, with this bigger picture of you and our lives, our lives lived with you, God. Lord, I pray that we are healthily challenged, God, Lord, that my my words would be grace, but there would be salt in there as well, God. Lord, and I just pray just a, a deep, that deep hunger and thirst for all of us here today, for you, God, that you grow that in us as we hear your word. In your name, amen. So I just want to start with a few stats, actually. Today is called um, To the Ends of the Earth. And um, you guys may have heard of the Joshua Project. If you haven't, the Joshua Project is a project that tracks the spread of the gospel around the world, specifically looking at unreached people groups and which people groups have been reached or not. They've broken it down, the world, into there's 17,009 people groups in the world. That um, There are 7,078 of those who are unreached. And... Um, what that accounts for is about 42% of the global population living within these unreached people groups. You know, God has a, has a heart to reach people. God has this heart to reveal himself to the world and bring people into his family. The AOG, their missions reported, of the um, estimated thousands of new believers in Iran in the last few years, over half of them became believers after Jesus personally came to them in a dream or a vision, that they had a, a vision of Jesus or a dream of Jesus coming to them and speaking to them. The Iranian church and the Afghanistan church, the Afghan church, are, both, are the fastest growing churches on the face of the planet at the moment. And, you know, we live in these such exciting times where God, Jesus, he's reaching out to people, he's calling people to himself. Do you remember... In Daniel, it mentions about that it speaks about the different kingdoms, and it's that prophecy that there would be a kingdom that would come and grow and grow and fill the whole earth. And that's what we're living in. And so today, this, we're still in that Acts series, and we're in Acts 10 today. And what we're looking at is one of the great mission moments in church history. It's this moment where the gospel transitioned from being just amongst the Jews and the Jewish people to being and going into the Gentiles. So it's this moment where the living out of the, the experience of God inviting all peoples into relationship with him. And for the church at that time, there's this challenge because this cultural stuff of the Jews and the Gentiles, there's a lot of barriers there. And we see how they stay comfortable in Jerusalem. But also for us today, there's, this, there is a, there's a big challenge for us today. Because whilst the whole issue of Jew and Gentile isn't a cultural issue for us today, it's not something that we're living in, that challenge, the ends of the earth, that challenge for those who have not yet heard the gospel to hear is still there, to reach those who are unreached. It can be easy to, to kind of hear it and be like, yes, that's awesome. Remember Jesus in Acts 1, 8, he, he says, you should be my witnesses. He says to the guys, you should be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. And yet, what happens in Acts 2? They become that 
what we often know as that archetypal church, that beautiful church, the church, even I've preached, let's, let's be like that church. And it's an awesome church, a great church in so many ways. But they forgot in that moment, the ends of the earth bit, that it's not until, so we go from Acts 1, 8 to Acts 8, 1. And it's not until Acts 8, 1 where you have the persecution breaks out and the gospel begins to spread and things begin to get back on track to see the ends of the earth reached. And so today what we're doing is we're going to follow on from where we left off last week. And it's that story of um, Peter and Cornelius. Okay. Just going to summarize it, which may be just as long, but maybe more interesting. I don't know. But um, Peter, just to set, set the scene, if you remember last, last week we were speaking about Peter's traveling through the region of um, the Sharon, and he's, he goes to Lydda. He, uh, the paral- there's the paralyzed man there, Aeneas. He is healed. And then the guys in Joppa, where Tabitha or Dorcas has died, hear, hey, Peter's there, let's call him over. So he comes over, and as a result of his coming, remember Dorcas raised from the dead, she's resurrected, and Peter's now staying in the house of Simon the Tanner. So that's kind of where, where it all starts. Acts 10 starts with Cornelius. So Peter's down there in Joppa at the moment. But Acts 10 starts with Cornelius, the centurion in Caesarea. He's, this, he's a centurion, but he's also a devout man. He's a God-fearer. And whilst he's in prayer, he's visited by an angel who tells him, there's a guy in Joppa staying with uh, Simon the Tanner. You need to send for him and get him to come up here. So he completely obeys. He, he, hears, he hears this word from the angel, says, okay. Sends these three guys down to Joppa to get Peter to come back. And... Um, the story then flicks to Peter, and Peter, he's gone up, it's noontime, he's going up for noontime prayers, he goes up on the roof to pray, he's hungry, gets some guys to make him some food, and he's there, and he goes into a trance, and whilst he's in this trance, he sees this sheet lowered down, and it's got all these animals on the sheet, and all the animals on the sheet are all the forbidden animals from the Jewish law, that you can't eat these animals, and he, he hears God say, kill and eat and he says no no I, I've never I've never broken I've never done that I've never broken the law I wouldn't do that and it it happens three times similar to Peter back with denying Jesus three times accepting him three times and it happens again three times where he says no no but then God says don't call unclean what God has made clean and uh, Peter comes out of this trance and he's perplexed and And at the same time, these three guys sent by Cornelius are arriving downstairs. And the Spirit says to him, there are three guys who have been sent you downstairs. Listen to them. Go with them. So he goes downstairs. And I love that scene. No one asks for him. He just goes up to them. And he says, I'm the guy you're looking for. Welcomes them in. They stay the night. And they set off the 30 miles up to Caesarea the next day. And when um, Peter... And these guys get there, and he has some of his uh, some disciples with him as well. There are some other circumcised believers with him, and they get there, and they get they uh, get to Cornelius's house, and Cornelius falls on the floor, and he bows to him. That, I mean, that in itself is a significant thing because that's the kind of action you'd only for a Roman you'd only reserve for someone like Caesar. And Peter says, "No, no, no, get up! I'm just a man. I'm just a man." And that's an amazing thing. In itself, a good lesson for people in kind of Christian leadership and things like that. Maybe people don't lie on the floor and bow down, but that kind of mentality of not trying to take any glory for what we do. 
And so Peter stands there and he says, he says, look, you know it's forbidden for me to be here. This is a, this is a big deal. Like I've, I've come here and I'm here with you, but this is forbidden for me actually as a Jew to be in this house with you guys in this close, intimate setting. Because they would have had dealings, Jews and Gentiles would have had dealings, but that, that intimate setting of living, doing a kind of life together like that was forbidden. So he comes into this close, intimate setting and he says, look, it's forbidden for me to be here. Like, tell, me what, tell me what you want. Tell me why you've, why you've called me to be here. And it's this great kind of scene because Peter comes in and says, tell me why you've called me. And then Cornelius repeats back to him everything that he's basically been told by the messengers as well. And then Cornelius ends with, tell me what God's told you to tell us what God's told you to, to tell us. So it's a bit of backwards and forwards. And then the penny, it's like in that moment, this, the penny drops for Peter and Peter suddenly realizes that God is accepting all people. That God is not down to somebody's uh, national identity or background or culture, but it's on their heart and their hunger for him. And so Peter shares the gospel and shares about Jesus. And as he's sharing, in that moment, the Holy Spirit's poured out on all the people that are there. The circumcised believers who are with Peter are completely amazed that this has happened. Like, this is crazy that the Gentiles are getting filled with the Holy Spirit like this. And then um, Peter says, look, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. What man is there here who could deny these guys water baptism? So they're baptized, and then Paul stays with them a few days, teaching them. So that's the kind of overview of our story. There's three things I want to look at before we just go into that. I just want to throw out a few, a, a few things to do with the context of what's going on there. So maybe when we look at that story, because it's quite a well-known story. Many of you guys will have known that story. But let's have a look at some of the context elements to sit, so we can begin to paint a picture for ourselves of what that life was like, what it maybe some deeper things that are going on at the time. So verse one, it says, now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. So this guy, the two main guys in this story is Cornelius and, and Peter. We hear of Peter and we know Peter from many different places, but it's good, good to take a look at Cornelius that, and the place that he's at. So he's in Caesarea, it's a large port town. It's one of them. It's the main administrative capital for the area. So it's where the Roman governor would have been. It's actually one of the main Roman towns in the whole of the of cities in the whole of the Roman Empire, famed for its beauty. And the harbour that was there was this incredible harbour with natural wave breakers. They had things engineered into the harbour to stop silt accumulation and all kinds of artificial breakwaters and things like that. So it's, it's this quite incredible, you know, how good the Romans were at building things. This incredible, incredible city that actually, as you entered the harbour, that was quite a narrow entryway to the harbour. And there were these colossal statues of the imperial family on either side. So it's not some like fishing village. Like, you know, when we read it, it's good to have these kind of pictures in our mind that it's not this random fishing village or just some kind of town with a bit of a port, you know, like Saikung, that this is a mighty, amazing city, this kind of heart of Roman rule in that place. And Paul, a Jew, is called into this heart of 
heart of Roman expression there, to see none other than a centurion. So this guy Cornelius says, right, he's a centurion. A centurion is a guy who ran a century or led a century, a century being a hundred men. And then what you'd have then, you'd have six centuries in one cohort or one regiment. So you know it says he's part of the Italian regiment. So you'd then have, so six centuries of which Cornelius leads one of them and then there's these six and they make up this one cohort or regiment that's the Italian regiment. Then you'd actually have 10 regiments that made up a legion. So you'd have 6,000 guys in a legion. But think about this guy that Peter's called to. Think about this Cornelius, that he's not some like wishy-washy guy. And I think this is a great picture for guys to see especially, because this is like a hardcore, this is a very, very manly man. You know, he's a hardcore guy. You don't get to be a centurion if you're this kind of, um, oh, hi, yeah, no, yeah, praise you, Jesus, you know, that kind of like a softy, softy guy, like a, I don't know. I, Peter's a tough guy, right? He's a fisherman. But this guy would have been so tough. He would have had to have been ready to lead a hundred guys into battle. And he probably had already led a hundred guys into battle. He'd have probably killed and fought. And so he would have had to have commanded the respect of these hundred men. And I just love the picture there because you've got that, which is just so raw in the other side of things, which is verse um, verse 2, where it says, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. So this is just like this tough soldier, this hardcore guy, but at the same time, who is a God-fear, who just loves God, who's pursuing God. He's not following his old gods. He's not just keeping in with his culture, but he's, there's something different that he's seen in the God of the Jews, the God of Israel, and he is, he's pursuing God. And we see a number of times, it says he's a God-fear, and there's, for Gentiles, there's kind of three kinds of Gentiles you find. You find guys who are, well, four maybe, anti but then you find guys who are supportive, like the Jesus and that the centurion. Do you remember that Jesus heals his servant? That that guy actually, he wasn't pursuing God, but he gave lots of money to build the synagogue and these kind of things, and the Jews liked him. But then you get God-fearers like Cornelius. And so Cornelius is someone pursuing God and doing a whole load of, I guess, activities that, like, He's in prayer a lot. He's giving. His heart reflects this heart for pursuing God. And then you also get proselytes. And proselytes are slightly different in that they would follow everything to the letter. So those guys, if you see a proselyte ever written, those guys would have gone the whole way with all the law. So those guys would have been circumcised, whereas in Cornelius and all his family wouldn't have been circumcised. And so there's something really special and interesting in that, that there are these different kinds of Gentiles that you can choose. And it goes, the gospel goes to him. So it says that, that he was continually in prayer. And we sometimes read these things in the Bible and it sounds like, okay, well, was he? You know, because he's got a job to do, doesn't he? But actually when it talks about someone being continually in prayer, it's really talking about that he's following the kind of ancient the ancient world, they had these things called rhythms of prayer. They still exist today, but where you pray at certain times of the day. 
And so this guy is devout in that way that he's actually in a rhythm of prayer. It's not just like, oh, occasionally pray then and pray then. And when I walk, you know, when I go and get my toga on, I pray. It's all the time this rhythm through his life that he's praying in. And we, we see actually the angel turns up to speak to him at the ninth hour when he's praying. And that's verse three. It says, about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and arms have ascended as a memorial before God. See, God notices those who are looking for him, who are genuinely seeking him. And I think it's significant that he meets the angel that God speaks to him and comes into that situation when he's in that time of prayer. Notice as well, the angel doesn't actually share the gospel with him. The angel tells him to send guys on a 60-mile round-trip journey to get another man to come and share the gospel because there's something within the gospel that we as humans can only experience that angels can't understand. And, you know, Peter... If you just think what an amazing picture of what's going on in that last in that last scene where these guys have gone in, Peter the whole time doesn't know what's going on. Cornelius doesn't fully know what's going on. And yet they just trust him. And you know, guys, sometimes we just need to trust him. And this scene there in Cornelius's house is this turning point. And Peter says this, he says, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, to show favoritism, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. It switches from this Jewish identity where you're acceptable before God and being in this identity and all those laws to being about personal character, being about your heart, longing for God. And you guys notice it doesn't say about doing all these things is what saves you, that longing for God and doing all these prayers every day and giving alms to the poor is what saves you, but rather just now it is open for all mankind to come to him. Imagine for Cornelius who discovered this God and found out I can't connect with this God fully. I'm not fully accepted. There's something that's not quite right. You know, there's all these customs and laws they say I need to follow, but to be right with God, but I, 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 can't, I can't do that. But now, all of a sudden, he's fully accepted. He's fully bought in. And the Spirit is poured out in the next verse. See, the Spirit's poured out and on all the uncircumcised believers and all the circumcised believers they're just amazed why, why are these guys amazed they're amazed because this is the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob the spirit of God who spoke to Moses from the burning bush suddenly being poured out upon Gentiles who they thought that they thought for years these guys are unclean that God wouldn't be able to touch them and it's why Paul years and years later he writes Understand then, he writes to the Gentiles in Galatia, he says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So it's this exciting, dramatic moment. It's this day, missionally, especially where the world completely changed. And it began a process that actually has opened the door for every single one of us to come in. So what do we learn from this story? What do we learn from it? I'm just going to go through three things. First is... 
I guess a, a challenge in a sense from Cornelius himself is live a normal holy life. Last week we spoke about living in the new normal and this fleshes this out a little bit to do with just because we all do stuff right to do with our time and Peter, years later, when he writes when he writes First Peter, he quotes Leviticus and he writes this. He said, "Writes, be holy, for I am holy." That being holy is this holy just means to be set apart, to live differently, to be different. And there's something great in the character of Cornelius. Challenging, you know, this guy is somebody who still hasn't fully received the gospel there, and yet he lives in this awesome way that that challenge for us to be very normal, very normal people, but at the same time to be deeply holy and set apart to be living differently. If you hold Cornelius and his life there, you see you've got this guy, this Cornelius, this tough character, this centurion who's got a job to do, and if push comes to shove, he has to lead his men into battle. He'll need to kill. He'll need to, he'll need to fight. And yet, at the same time of being this guy, probably training with these guys in the yard, yelling at these guys, he's also pursuing this holy life. He's not pursuing religion. If he was just a religious guy, most likely he would have just pursued his, his kind of home religion, his parent religion, pantheism. But he's pursuing God. He's taking time in amongst his schedule of everything that he's doing to pray three times a day, give time to speaking to God, to being with God, to dwelling with God. He's giving alms to the poor. He's generous. He's helping those in need. And as I was thinking about these things, there's kind of two sides to the coin. One side can be the super law, you know, super legal. Like, I've got to do all this stuff, otherwise I won't be acceptable before God, and that's just not right. You know, I've got to pray five times a day, otherwise God won't bless me or God won't love me. You know, which just isn't accurate and isn't right because we know we have the grace of God. But if you flip too far to the other side with grace, where we know kind of we don't need to earn salvation, that, that it's everything that Christ has done, the danger within that can sometimes lead us to forget that in amongst us not being ever, ever able to earn salvation that is all to do with Christ that the life we live from that is this life of holiness and so I guess we need to be a little careful in that beautiful abundant grace of God that we don't forget something the extreme which Paul writes about is licentiousness right so the extreme is like we can go and kill people because God's just going to forgive us you know that's license. And I don't think, I think most of you guys here know that's, that's, not, that's not good. That's not okay. But I think there's something in a middle ground that can be a little bit of a danger where we know how accepted we are before God. We know how loved we are before God. And sometimes the response to that can be a bit like just the normal. Okay, that's great. And I get on with life. But we've got to find that amazing, beautiful gratitude where we're like, oh, that is so incredible that in that hunger we prayed about earlier, that thirst, that we see God and we see it, Matt, we can have more and more of God that we pursue him. And not that we end up living with the gospel as a kind of piece of theology, but actually that the gospel is this truth 
that we live in every day, that it impacts our lives. That salvation is part of that message of the gospel, the great message that actually that we are right with God, we're connected with God, that your last breath on earth will be your first breath in eternity. But also remember that the gospel is that room that we live in on the earth, the room that we live in every single day that we live from. The gospel impacts our eternity, but should also transform our today. So maybe, and you guys, you guys know, like maybe there's some changes we feel we need to make. So like Cornelius, the great thing is we don't need to live completely different lives. You don't need to become like a hermit or a monk and go and if you feel called to do that, it's fantastic, go and do that. But you don't need to go and like say, okay, yes, James, I need to live this holy life and then I need to go and but go and live in a monastery somewhere and only do this stuff and forget everything else. It's not what I'm saying. We don't need to do that in order to live lives of holiness, to, to live in this place where we're both fully, just fully living in the abundant grace of God and yet letting those, those works, that fruit of that salvation flow out of us. I just want to look at Ephesians 8, sorry, Ephesians 2, um, 8 to 10. If you ever want to memorize an area, this is a fantastic one to memorize. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know, your salvation, your justification, your ability to stand blameless before the Father, it is all because of him. Nothing to do with you. No, there is no boast that any of you can have that you're, that you're so righteous or so holy because he is the one who's done that all. But then it continues and it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Good works, prayer, giving, the, your gifts that you have within you and you pour out of you in your jobs, the blessing you put into your, into your businesses, into the schools you work for, into the homes you work for. You are his workmanship. See, we've, we've been saved by grace, through faith, for good works. And the challenge with many people, even you find it in church sometimes, right, that people get it completely backwards and that actually, you know, that they say, no, you're saved by good works to have a life of faith. That's not true. Our lives are an evidence of our salvation. What comes out of us is because of the gospel, because of salvation we've experienced and received. Whereas in most religion on the planet is actually your salvation is an evidence of your life, that how you live determines whether you go to heaven. It is only through the grace of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross that you guys are acceptable before the Father. So if you're here today and works and graces have been a, a stumbling block and you think, oh, I've got to do all this stuff to be acceptable for God. I've got to do all this stuff so that he would bless me. You guys need to change your thinking about that because it's only in him that you'll find salvation. But also... And here's a bit of a challenge, I challenge myself in this as well, that if we're here today thinking that our lifestyle, now kind of Jesus is taking care of it all, if our lifestyle isn't important, how we spend our time isn't important because we're saved by grace, 
I'd also challenge that as well, because there are depths of him. It's kind of amongst the normal, there is something deeply different that we can live in every day, that we can pursue this life of prayer, that we can pursue this, the stuff that he's doing in us, this deeper life in him, and see that impact the world around us. Second thing I just want to share, and this is God, the grand strategist, and prayer comes into this as well. If there's one thing I challenge you guys on to do with the, the, the previous point is prayer. So never forget that God's the boss. If you look at this story that we, we were looking at, that he's the one in control. There's so much of the story. Peter and Cornelius, they're actually just being obedient to what they hear, but they don't really know what's going to happen or quite what's going on. Be obedient to the master strategist. And it, it, it can be easy to try and be the boss. Okay, God, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. Bless it. This is what, God, this is where we're going. Come into this and bless that. And there's space for that. Say, God, please, can we do this? And you have conversation with him. But the other thing that can be easy to forget is to forget that he is the grand strategist, that the privileges we get to take part in his plan and what he's doing. So never forget to ask God, what are you doing in this place? God, what do you need me to do in amongst your plan? And there's this subtle difference between those two, but it's a significant one. And here's the encouragement, guys. Spend time with the grand strategist. Spend time with God. Peter and Cornelius, both of these guys, they're both present and they're both in a position to hear. They're both in prayer, aren't they? When God speaks to them. Cornelius is the, the ninth hour prayer. Peter is in the sixth hour prayer. It's part of their normal lives, this rhythm of praying. And because they're in that place, they hear, they obey, and they enter into the great plan of God. And so, guys, I encourage you, spend time with him. Spend time in prayer. If there's one thing that we do regularly, now if you're going to eat regularly, pray regularly. Remember, in Jesus it models this. He says he only does what he sees the Father doing. That He actually says about Jesus that he regularly took himself off to wild places and just spent time and quiet and alone. And that prayer isn't some religious duty that we have to do, but prayer is this being. Don't just, when you pray, don't just speak the whole time. You know, what kind of conversation would that be? No one would want to have coffee with you again if you did that, right? It's a conversation. Sit, have silence, listen. It is us being in the presence of God. And there's a quote I'm going to show you guys by Martin Luther, which I think is awesome for Hong Kong life. We should take this because we're busy guys. And it says, Martin Luther, famous Hong Konger, said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. What do we say in Hong Kong? How are you? Busy. I am so busy that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. And so, guys, I want to encourage you in that. Keep that in your head. If ever you think, I'm busy today, then you need to pray longer. We need that mentality here. And God challenged me with a question, and it's hard, and I'll chuck it out to you guys because it's quite, it's like a bit of a mallet, but it was how much do we miss or can we miss because we just don't spend time with God? You know, Peter wouldn't, would probably have missed what was going on. Cornelius would have likely missed what was going on had they not been spending 
time with God. Because neither of them thought, oh, I'm going to do this thing. So they didn't even know quite what was happening until it was happening. So I know, guys, that we have busy lives in this city and finding times to pray can be a challenge. But I encourage you, make that a priority. Like you hunger and thirst for food and drink. Let that being in his presence be the same or greater than that you hunger and thirst to be with him. Spend time with him. You know, he knows your life better than you know it. The fastest growing church in the UK on Fast Growing Church Network. It's a church network called Redeemed. And these guys, what they do is they go to an area and they pray over and fast over an area of a city for three years before they plant the church. And then they plant the church and the church explodes. And they're just seeing, they're seeing so many churches planted around the UK. So there's no better bit of advice that I could ever, I could ever give and challenge I could make than dwell in his presence. Dwell in his presence. Remember last week, we spoke about the tabernacle and the altar of incense, that last piece of furniture, the, inst- the prayers of the saints being right in the heart of the Godhead. That is this. That's, that's us. And that we now, through the gospel, through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we now have this amazing privilege that we can enter in any time of day into the very presence of God. So last point here. To the ends of the earth and this is really the core message of the story the core thing that's going on is the gospel is now going to all people and all people the ends of the earth they're god's plan that is god's plan that's god's heart then and today and now that's god's heart and it's the responsibility of the church to What's the Great Commission? Preach the gospel to all peoples, to all creation. And it, it takes the early church this long to get to this point where the gospel's actually get, beginning to go out to the Gentiles, go out to the ends of the earth. And even though that the intention of Acts 1 is the ends of the earth, it takes some time. It takes time for people to get, get stuff together for it to reach the gospel. And yet God... So even then, God needs to step in. And thank goodness for the world that God is stepping in and is still stepping in today. I started with those stats of uh, the unreached people groups in the world. And I think it's incredible how, despite us, better if we get sorted, you know, get focused on that, praying for the ends of the earth. But despite us, I love how God isn't just sat on a throne in heaven waiting for us to sort stuff out down here, but that actually he is working despite us. We read that quote at the beginning about more than half of the thousands of believers in Iran coming to faith that had a a vision or a dream of Jesus that led them to come into faith. I, I love a story. Some of you guys will have heard this before. There's two missionaries in the Middle East, and these guys, they decided, a husband and wife decided to give a Bible to um to three people a day and so they're given out to it's kind of late afternoon pull into a petrol station there's a guy stood there with a beard like big beard okay ak-47 all the stuff and the guy turns to his wife and says i think i need to give him the bible she's hit no way and so they like they fill up and then he said before they leave i feel i need to give the guy the bible she said no let's just go so they, they drive and they're going down the road and then he said, you know, I, I really feel I need to do this. And so 
said, okay then, let's go do it. So they turned back around and went back and they pulled in. And the, this guy, um, the missionary gets out and he goes up to this guy and he hands him the Bible and he said, God has told me to give you this. These are the words of life. And the, um, the guy starts crying and he explains to the missionary, he says, three days ago, I was praying, presumably to Allah, right? I was praying and I was asking God about the truth, like, what's the truth, God? And God said to me, come to this petrol station. And I've walked for three days to be at this petrol station. And he said, you know what? He said, walk for three days to be at this petrol station and I will send somebody to give you the words of life. I just find it incredible how Jesus is working. That's what Acts is, and we're kind of still in Acts in some ways, that these are the Acts that Jesus is still doing here upon the earth, and we get to partner with what he's doing. And so I know for many of you guys, you're not necessarily called to go to, I don't know, the jungle somewhere or the middle of, literally the middle of nowhere. I, I know that we're, many of us, maybe all of us, aren't called to go and, and live that kind of life. But with this point, what I want to stir in you guys is just, you know, don't forget, because it can be easy to forget, right? Become that church where we're doing our stuff and it's Hong Kong and it's great and we're doing our bits. But always never forget the ends of the earth. You see, if we can't go, we can remember them. We can pray for them. Now, there's a church in Hong Kong, speaking to the pastor recently, and I thought it was awesome. He was telling me about they've decided to adopt one of those groups, just one, and raise money to send people to share the gospel. And I was just like, man, that, you know, that's targeted. That's not wishy-washy. That's, that's, um, that's inspiring. And so, guys, there is a call on us as believers to not just get comfortable and forget about what's outside but to remember these guys, remember those who haven't yet heard. And ultimately, as church, we are called to see the gospel reach all peoples and support those guys who are called to go and then pray for those who go and pray for those people on the ground as well. And so just in ending, now, I just want to encourage you that it's my hope that each of you guys, year on year, that you're going to travel deeper and deeper into God. If your if your like spiritual life, let's call it, if your relationship with God is the same in, in like five years' time as it is as it is this year, then maybe you miss something because there's there. It's not that we're going to like earn stuff or anything like that, but there's just so much of God that we can pursue. But there's also it, it's like that feast. There's a feast there, but maybe we just have a nibble. Or maybe we're saying, no, you know, I'm feasting on this right now. And it excites me as well to imagine Sai Kung, to imagine um, Hong Kong as people pursue more and more of him. You know, actually, it matters far less, more and more people in church, the more and more people pursuing him. Now, th those two are correlated, but the point is, this place isn't to grow a big, a big number of people with lots and lots of people on seats, but it's to see individuals completely transformed and going on this amazing journey 
with God deeper into him. And so it's my hope as well that as a church, in this city is one of the most strategic cities in the world, isn't it? We've, we're within so five hours flight of half of the world's population. And it's part of our vision to be sending people out, part of that vision of the harbour, to be training people and releasing people and sending people, that we would see and have that heart for the lost, for the, un, for the unreached, that we would see people's lives transformed. We'd see churches planted around Asia, that we'd see that number, we'd move the dial in our lives. Even if just a little bit, we would do something. And guys, before we go into a, um, the, like the last song, we're just going to have a moment of, of response, okay? So just come, before, just come before God. And I just want to say, you know, today, if you're here and there's something that, um, something that I've said that's just spoken to you, Something, maybe you want to put some new things in place. And I say it again, remember, it's not doing stuff that makes us acceptable before God or doing stuff that makes us more blessed before God, but it's just, it is a blessing to be in the, to be doing these things, to be in this place. So, you know, maybe for you it's prayer. Maybe you just want to spend more time in his presence. Maybe for, maybe for you it's giving and um, it's a change or you've been challenged in generosity. Maybe it's in being in his word and in the scriptures. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's pursuing God in a new way or he's been speaking to you about using your gifts, your talents, your, your things you can work out in this world to bless others. And so I just want to encourage you guys in this, this life of holiness, that private holiness that only you and God see, but it's just this deepening of your relationship together. And guys, just as everyone's eyes are closed, if they're... If there is something, this actually, this is not even for me, actually, but if there's something that you, you making a decision today before God to make a change, I just ask that you just pop your hand in the air and just pop it up and put it down, if that's you. Thanks. No, if that's, if that's you, if you're saying, you know, I want to make, I want to make this change, and that putting the hand up, you know, it's, it's, I think there's nothing magic about putting your hand in the air, right? But it's just saying, yeah, God, it's take in a public setting saying, I'm making a change. I'm, I love you. Father God, Lord, I thank you for these guys that have just put their hands up, God. And I just ask God that Holy Spirit, you just come and fill them afresh right now, Lord, that they just receive from you, receive from you in this moment. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, for your, your fruit of self-control and self-discipline, Lord, just to flood them, God, to remind them of the, the things that they've, they've said today that they're going to do, that they're going to change. Lord, I thank you that you are mighty and you are gracious, God. That you're taking us just to depths that even now we, we can't imagine, Lord. And we just pursue you all the more. Lord, I thank you that we can be so normal and yet live lives of holiness. Lord, that we can be holy as you are holy. And Lord, I pray that you help us by your spirit navigate that life of normality 
and holiness, Lord.